0: Today a key word in our study is going to be the word discipline. A discipline is something that a lot of us don't really like, but it's an important part of life. Uh, you've got to have discipline to, to do well in your job, discipline to do well at school, discipline if you want to get in shape, discipline if you want to lose weight, discipline if you want to learn a foreign language. Uh, discipline if you want to get your finances all in order. Discipline is an important part of doing well in life. It's also an important part of doing well in faith. And so the author of Hebrews is gonna talk about the sacrifice that Jesus has made for us and the depth of that sacrifice and how that calls us to a life of discipline for the Lord. Now, obviously we are made right with God, we are saved, not by anything we do, not by any of our discipline, we're saved by our faith in Christ. But when our faith has been placed in Christ, now there's a call to us for discipline, to be, to be strong, to be diligent, to be thoughtful about how we are living in obedience to the Lord. And many times in our lives, almost every day, it requires us to be disciplined, to crucify the flesh, to nail to the cross, the sin that we talked about last Sunday that so easily entangles us. So discipline is not a favorite word for many of us, but it's an important word for our lives and very important in our faith. talk about that today, but before we begin, I want to say happy Reformation Day to everybody. If you look, there's a lot of great memes out there. Martin Luther nailing the 95 Theses to the door. My favorite I posted earlier this morning picture of Luther with the 95 thesis on the Wittenberg castle door church. Got the big hammer over his shoulder and it says, you pound on doors for candy. How cute. Uh, it's good. So we're grateful. 504 years ago today, uh, for those reformers. And, uh, the work they did for the kingdom is good stuff. So let's talk about that what we said in the video. Our passage of scripture today is going to be about when difficult times happen, when we have struggles, when we have pain, when we have hardships. Uh, the author of Hebrews is going to use just the term discipline when difficult things are happening to us and uh, and how God is going to use Uh, those difficult times in our life. Now, there was a preacher a long time ago, old famous preacher, he was talking about this passage of scripture. And he said he likened this passage of scripture to like a lighthouse. And what he meant by that was when you see a lighthouse in the daytime, you don't really take that much notice of it. It's not that spectacular. Uh, But when you see a lighthouse at night, and you see that really bright light coming out of that lighthouse. You see, first of all, it's, it's quite a visual sight, but then you understand just the importance of what the lighthouse is doing. Uh, he said, it's kind of like passages like this. You know, the Bible is full of passages of scripture that talk about difficult times in a person's life. But the thing is, whenever th- when things are going good in our life, when things are kind of easier, we tend to look at passages like these like a lighthouse in the daytime. When it's daytime for us, it's not that, that there's no darkness really, not that difficult. We kind of read passages like this and we kind of gloss over them, whatever. But when we're going through a difficult time, these passages really pop for us. And they really bring God into perspective for us. So I don't know if you're in a good time, a hard time in life, whatever it might be. Uh, We're going to see some really great biblical truth In This passage about the purpose of pain Why God allows difficult things to happen in our lives So let's take our Bibles and let's turn to that passage Hebrews chapter 12 And we're going to read verses 4 to 11 Pick up uh, Aaron Fulbright did a great job preaching last Sunday Through the first three verses of Hebrews 12 And we're going to pick right up where he left off In our year-long study of this book And so let's begin to read Hebrews chapter 12 God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Verse 9. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they, the earthly fathers, disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But he, our heavenly Father, disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So let's take this passage of scripture, let's let's try to unpack it a little bit. And I think the, the, the point of this passage of scripture is that the author of Hebrews wants the Hebrews to understand what is the purpose, what is the point of pain. He doesn't want them to misunderstand it. Now, I think you get that right in the very beginning in verse 4, because to me, one of the most fascinating things that the author says here in this passage is right out of the chute in verse 4, look at it with me when he says, in your struggle against sin. Now, hang on a second, that, that, doesn't, seem, that doesn't seem to be Right? Because here's the thing, for 11 full chapters of Hebrews, we haven't really been told that the Hebrews have have committed some gross immorality, we haven't been told that the Hebrews are guilty of some kind of heresy, there doesn't seem to be any particular thing that they need to be repentant of, that, that, that they have sinned, and yet he says, you are struggling with your sin. So what is the sin? Well, we lay that against the whole context of the letter now, the whole book. And remember, what have we learned? Here here, here are these Jews, most likely in the city of Rome. They have converted to Christianity. In converting to Christianity, the Romans are persecuting them, and their Jewish friends and family have either abandoned or are afflicting them. You would think that because of the whole context of the book, that verse 4 would say, in your struggle against the Roman persecutors, in your struggle against the Jewish afflictors, but it doesn't say that. The sin then is this. They started out in their faith in Jesus. Things got very difficult, and some of them have now turned their back on Jesus, and many others are tempted to go back to what life was like before they came to Christ because that life then was easier than the one it is now. So the sin is failing to understand the purpose of the pain, the point of this persecution, if you will. Failing to understand that and wanting to now reject Christ and go to some other thing. That is the sin. And they have turned away from Jesus because they have misunderstood what God is trying to do in their lives through the persecution and the affliction and the discipline, as he calls it. So this is just a reality of life for us. In the first three verses, as Aaron had preached, the author of Hebrews kind of uses a Greek sport to remind them. It's kind of almost an illustration. This is what growing in faith in Christ is like. It's like a race, right? And you run it, and you persevere, and then you get to verse 4, and verse 4, it's like another Greek sport, a boxing match. Because the thing is, in your race, in your persevering in Jesus, let's just face it, you're going to get punched in the face. Whack! You're going to have this kind of hardship. You're going to have this kind of discipline. You're going to have, you name it. And so the key for us is to endure through all of that and not to give up. Now, how sometimes do we misunderstand difficult times? Uh, Sometimes when difficult times hit us, we tend to think that God doesn't love us. We tend to think God doesn't care about us anymore. We tend to think God has abandoned us. Uh, none of that, none, none of that is, is, is really necessarily true. Now, let me just kind of give this little caveat before we go any further in the sermon. This is a passage about difficult times and struggles. Now, listen to me. Sometimes you may be in the midst of a difficulty because it is the result of your sin. There are consequences to sin. I go out, I commit some, some kind of sin, I can expect to have consequences of it. But there are other times in my life where I may be going through a difficult time and it's not necessarily the result of any kind of sin in my life. It may just be something that God has allowed to grow me deeper in him. Y- y'all have all heard that before. We have storms of correction and we have storms of perfection. But here's the point. It doesn't really matter what has caused the suffering in your life. It doesn't really matter how you got here. What he's saying here is whatever the pain, and whyver you're having it, God wants to use pain to deepen your relationship with him through Christ. And so you look at verse five. He says, Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? So when difficult times hit your life, don't think God has abandoned you. Don't think, oh, I'm no longer his child. No. What is he saying? What does he say throughout this whole passage? Hey, if you're experiencing hard times, it's not a sign that God has, has, has abandoned you. It is a sign that God wants to deepen your faith. So I think probably with this whole idea of discipline and father and son, I think the writer of Hebrews has the verse on the screen in mind, Proverbs 3. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father of the son in whom he delights. So God allows these painful times in our lives to deepen us, to strengthen us in our faith. So with that as a background now, let's just kind of work through this a little bit. And I think one of the things we see at the beginning of this passage of scripture is the purpose of discipline, the purpose of pain, are hardships. And you see this, look at verse six. In verse six, he says, the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastises every son whom he receives. Now you think about these two words, discipline and chastise. And let's start with this word discipline. I think the idea here is just fatherly discipline. Here's an interesting thing. In the word discipline right here is the Greek word for a child, so this word discipline is a word that was used of a parent raising up a child. Now, let's just think, why then, if God, if, if God is my heavenly father, it actually makes perfect sense then that he would allow me to go through his discipline through these difficult times to train and to teach me. Now, just think about this on an earthly parent level, okay? <laughs> uh, as a parent... You have boundaries, you have rules, you, you, you educate your children, you, you, all, all these things. Why? Because you're preparing them for what's to come. Now, I always kind of chuckle sometimes. Uh, I, I have many, many times uh, parents in our church will bring their child to my office, and uh, the child is ready uh, uh, to follow Christ and ready to obey him in baptism. And so I talk with the child, and we, we, when we're talking with the child, we talk about sin, we talk about the consequences of sin, we, we talk about how, you know, God punishes sin, and I usually kind of make a connection, you know, when you do wrong at home, mom and dad, they discipline you. And I always kind of chuckle, because from a child's perspective, the greatest parents are the ones that have no discipline. Yeah, I get this a lot in my office. Yeah, when I do wrong, my mom and dad, they, you know, they, they put me in time out or they take away a privilege or whatever. But Billy at school, his parents let him play Xbox all the time. And, he, and then it's always like, you know, he eats Doritos and Cheetos and Dr. Pepper for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And he stays up all night, and he gets to have his phone all the time. And from a kid's perspective, parents that have no boundaries just was like, man, they're the greatest parents in the world. What kids cannot verbalize, but somewhere there they know that the parent that has no boundaries, no rules, no expectations is actually communicating to their child that they could care less about them. If you have no rules and you have no boundaries and you say to your child, oh yeah, stay up up all night, we don't care, hang out with whoever, we don't care, do all this, we don't care, what are you really communicating to this kid that you really don't care about him? We understand innately that an earthly parent has boundaries and rules and discipline. Why? Can 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 I just let you in on a little secret here? You ready if you're a parent? and you have children at home still let me tell you something you ready if you are a parent and your child is still at home let me in on you. let me let you in on something you are actually raising adults what do i mean by that you are not your you are not your child's buddy or peer you are their parent why You are educating them. You are disciplining them. You are teaching them right from wrong. You are setting boundaries. Why? Because you are raising them and preparing them for adulthood. You're training them for life. It's really no different with God. God disciplines us. God teaches us right from wrong. God gives us boundaries and rules and trains us. Why? He is preparing us for a deeper life in Christ and ultimately for eternal life. Isn't he? And so you see in this idea then, this idea of fatherly discipline. Now look at the next word. The next word is the one he chastises. And I'm going to tell you right now, we don't, <laughs> this word gave, gave you heartburn. Because the word chastise in the original language actually means to whip or to scourge. It is a very intense form of punishment. And you say, wow, ooh, That's bad. Why would he put that word in there? You know, a good earthly parent isn't going to whip or scourge their kid in a super painful, like, torturous kind of way. Why would he put that word in here? Think about something. I think a lot of us, if we're just very honest, we don't think God, because he's so loving and good and all that stuff, we don't think God would allow Something really painful in our lives. What this word signals to us is that God is going to allow things in our lives way more severe than what we typically might accept as appropriate discipline, if you will. We're not talking about bumps in the road. We're not talking about, I woke up one day and I got a headache. We're not talking about, I woke up one day and somebody said something ugly to me at work. No, we are talking about really deep, difficult, painful trials. And I'm just going to tell you, you are mistaken if you don't think God is going to allow something deeply painful in your life to make you more like Christ. Do you remember what C.S. Lewis said? God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our conscience, but he shouts at us in our pain. And then he says, pain is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Now you look at me. How many of you would raise your hand in here? And you would testify that it was actually through something very painful that God got your attention. When life is easy, and there's not much hardship, we tend to put God at a distance, don't we? Kind of like a lighthouse in the daytime. But when some kind of pain comes into our life, all of a sudden, shoo, God comes clear into focus, doesn't he? You know, I read this great article the other day by Al Hesu. Al Jesus is a senior editor for InterVarsity Press. And he just, little article, really powerful. He just tells the story. al Al he says, I I had 2,400 vision. So I'm basically blind as a bat, (laughs) okay? And so he went and had LASIK surgery, which LASIK surgery still makes me go, you know? Hey, we're just going to peel your eyeball back. No worries. And stick a laser in it. So he has LASIK surgery. LASIK surgery is supposed to make you 20-20, but it didn't quite take the way it was supposed to, and it made him 20-40. So he's a whole lot better, but he, he couldn't see things at a distance still. So he said, see things at a distance, he still had to squint. So not long after he has LASIK surgery, he goes to a conference. And at the conference, they have a time of worship. And they have the words on the screen, and he's squinting to read the words on the screen, and they've been worshiping a while. One of his favorite songs comes up, and, and he's feeling moved. He, he closes his eyes, and he's just really worshiping, kind of gets emotional for him. And he says his eyes fill with tears. And when he opens his eyes, to look at the words on the screen, crystal clear, perfectly in focus. And so he blinks, and when he blinks, he goes back to out of focus. But when he squints and gets those tears in his eyes kind of going again, he can see perfectly. And so he sees, I stand there for a minute doing this. And I'm like, God, God, are you healing me? (laughs) What's going on here? But then all of a sudden he realized his tears were serving as contact lenses for his vision. And then I wrote this down. This is such a powerful line. Listen to this line in the article. He says this, listen. I suspect that I will never see as clearly as I do when I have tears in my eyes. The cold, hard reality, friends, is that many times God comes into the sharpest focus and the sharpest moments of pain in our life. And that's how God uses pain to make us like him, so just as a little overview of this part, okay? Don't misunderstand discipline. Doesn't mean God doesn't love me. God's abandoned me. No, it actually shows that He's my Father, and it shows how much He loves me. You know, just this past week, uh, teaching my students at OBU in Old Testament, we went through First and Second Samuel. It's kind of interesting. You you, know, you walk through First and Second Samuel with the students, and David. Is such an amazing character in the Bible. David is such, a, such an epic person of faith, a man after God's own heart, a, a man who killed Goliath. I mean, he had such amazing faith. But at the same time, David was so flawed, wasn't he? And one of the things we were talking about in class were David's children, you know, Absalom, and we go through all this. And, and it was funny. After class, one of the students walked up to me and said, wow. David's kids sound like a pretty bad bunch. (laughs) And I'm like, yeah, when you read the narrative, I mean, most of his kids were kind of a veritable brood of vipers, weren't they? And it's interesting, when you read through 1 Samuel, the implication is that David wasn't a very good father. He doesn't seem to spend time with them or discipline them. In fact, his children, when they get to adulthood, some of his children emulate the bad example that David has been. And so he doesn't seem to have been a good father. He doesn't But here's the thing. Even though he wasn't that great of a father, boy, he he loved those kids. And you know that in the narrative when Absalom his son rises up against him. And Absalom builds an army to fight his father David for the kingdom, and David has to form an army to go and fight his own son. And remember they fight, they battle. And they come to David and they say, "David, you won." And your son Absalom is dead. Your enemy is defeated. And do you recall David's response at hearing that news? Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom. Would I had died instead of you, O Absalom, my son, my son. You see the point I'm making? If a man who really wasn't a very good daddy loved his kids like that, how much more do you think your heavenly father loves you? Think about it. So we have to understand that in the light of discipline. Now, let's just kind of shift the gear here, and let's keep working through our passage. And the next thing I think we see in this passage is, okay, I understand that. The point of pain, the purpose of pain is God is shaping me and molding me. Okay, so how am I going to respond to that? I think we see some clues in this text about a response to it. Here's a couple of bad ways to respond when God disciplines us. The first one is, is stoicism. I, I would just call it a stoic approach. W- where do you get that, Pastor? Look in verse 5. In verse 5, he says, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. So when I am going through a difficult time, one of the responses could be for me to do this. Just kind of cross my arms. Okay, great. I had like six months of kind of easy life, and now I've gotten this bad news or something's happened here, and now I'm just going to kind of cross my arms, and I'm just going to grin and bear it, and I'm just going to make it through this, and I'm just going to hope and pray it's over quick. What's wrong with this? Notice at the end of our passage... Notice that he says, hey, at the moment, pain is unpleasant. And by the way, no one is saying here that when you are going through a hard time, you should be all happy. Yay. No, it hurts. It's painful. Yet I'm not seeking pain. It's going to find me. And no one's saying you got to be all cheery and rosy and happy in the midst of your trial and your suffering. But here's the thing. Listen to me. If God is using this to shape me, there is a sense in which I embrace the pain. I don't do this to it. I don't take it lightly. I open my eyes and my heart and I say, God, this isn't any fun. But you know what, God? I want to see how you're using this in me. And here's another response that's not very good self-pity and anger right on verse five don't regard lightly this the lord look what he says next nor be weary when reproved by him uh, christians sometimes are really great oh i love you jesus i love you god i'm so happy with you when things are going good and you're getting his blessing but the moment the hard time comes we're pretty quick to turn our back on him that's not a good response either not to be mad at god for this stuff but to learn from him and the right response is verse 7. Look. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God has not abandoned you. God is treating you as sons. So here he is training us for godliness. And like the boxing match, I endure. I don't let this knock me down. I don't abandon God and get mad at him. I embrace this in a sense to learn. Consider some of this from the New Testament. Look on the screen at 1 Peter 1. As was necessary, necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. you got to go through this so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's 1 Peter 1. Now here comes James 1. Count it all joy. You're not saying happiness, But joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast, who endures under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. So here's the reality, gang. Look up here at me. You know, here we are at point A, wherever you are in your walk with Christ. And they don't care who you are, how long you've been a Christian, how, how mature you a Christian you are. We're all trying to get to point B. Here is, Point A is where I am now. Point B is over here, which is in a much deeper, mature place of our faith, where I am rock steady and solid, regardless of what affliction comes in my life. This is where we want to get. get. But the problem is from point A to point B, there's no shortcuts. We have to endure. Now, let me show you something. Look at the pictures on the screen. Uh, I've seen people wearing blue jeans with holes and rips in them, and they got strings coming off of them. But it wasn't until my daughters became teenage daughters that I found out they're actually charging you double to make your jeans look like this. (laughs) What in the world? It's like, wait a minute. To get a brand new pair of jeans that looks like they're 50 years old and and, and how many people have worn them, they got holes in them, they're worn out, they're faded, they got rips in them, they got strings hanging off of them, you got to pay that much for a pair of jeans that look like that? Doesn't seem to make much sense. Now look at the picture on the left. I am not making this up. I'm serious as a train wreck. Did you know that you can actually buy spray-on mud to go down the side of your four-wheel drive vehicle? You got a four-wheel drive truck? You want to drive through the streets of Shawnee making you look like a tough guy? Yeah, I've been mudding. When in actuality you haven't been mudding, just go buy some spray-on mud and you can just spray it on the side of your truck. I'm not kidding. You can buy this on Amazon right now. Yeah, you I know, it's like that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. I mean, that's, that skips all the fun of the mudding. But, you know, hey, I want to look tough. Many of you haven't heard of Rory Gallagher. Rory Gallagher is a somewhat famous Irish blues guitarist. He has a famous guitar, a Fender guitar here, and it's kind of famous because it's so worn out. All right? if, that, if you don't relate to that, if you're older than me in the crowd right now, here's something you will relate to, Willie Nelson's guitar. Okay? You remember Willie Nelson's guitar? It's all beat up. Man. People actually love the look of this guy's guitar. In fact, I read a story about some musicians tried to replicate his guitar. One musician took his brand new guitar, he took it to the wood shop in high school, And he set a torch to it and tried to break it, tried to make it look like this. Here's the funny reality. Do y'all see this picture on the screen? That guitar is actually brand new. And you can buy it off Amazon right now. It was made to look like Rory Gallagher's guitar. Now, you're all looking at me going, what point are you trying to make, preacher? Do you want a guitar that looks like this? You can't really replicate it. You want a guitar that looks like this? you got to go through all the years and years of playing it. You want a truck that really looks like it's been mudding? Then you know what? you got to go splashing through the mud. You want jeans that really look faded and really... Then you got to wear them for a real long time. See, here's the point. We're all right here at point A, and we want to get to point B. But we want the shortcut. We don't, we don't want the journey Hey, I don't want to go splashing through the mud. I don't want to have to do whatever it takes to wear out my guitar and chip it and get the pain off of it. I don't want to have to play it that long. I don't want to have to do wear jeans so much. I, I just want to get from here to there, and I don't want all the stuff in between. It doesn't work that way. As I've told you before, my coach, in, my coach in high school basketball would just say, Boys, if I could give you a pill that'd make you be in physical shape like that, I'd give it to you right now. But since no pill exists, get on that line. We're going to run. I distinctly remember being in a lot of basketball games. Deep into the fourth quarter, and I'd get fouled, and I'm standing at the free throw line. And I'm breathing so hard, I'm so tired from four quarters of basketball, it's hard to focus on that rim and hold steady and shoot that free throw. And you know what? I desperately wanted to be in better shape. But I didn't want to have to put all the work in to get there. Same in your Christian life. You want to get to point B? There aren't any shortcuts. We endure. How does God move us from point A to point B? He does this so many times through discipline, through difficulty, through trials, through suffering. And here's the last thing. You get to the end of this passage and you see the value of all of this. Now here in verse 9 is when he makes the comparison of an earthly father and a heavenly father. Remember what we said about earthly fathers? You know, from a kid's view, oh, the greatest parent is the parent that lets me do whatever I want to do. It's interesting. What does the Bible say right here? Right here. The, the Bible says you respect your earthly father. Study after study after study shows that kids that have permissive, overly permissive parents actually don't respect them. You know, the parent that kids really respect is the parent that actually disciplines them and has rules and has boundaries. Why would we not apply this to God? Hey, those of us that are adults now realize if we had a, if we had a parent that disciplined us and had rules and boundaries on the backside of all that, we look and go, wow, I'm glad my parents parented me. Why then would I come to faith in Christ, and now I have a heavenly father? Why would I expect my heavenly father to be different than my earthly father? Why would I look at my heavenly father and say, okay, now, heavenly father, I don't want you to discipline me. I don't want you to have rules. I don't want you to have boundaries. I don't want you to have expectations of me. Doesn't make any sense. Your heavenly father is going to have these rules and boundaries teach you right from wrong. It's just part of it. Now, look look at this real quick with me then. What's the value in all of this? Here, our text tells us, first of all, there's a temporal value. Look at verse 9. We are to be subject to the Father of spirits, our heavenly Father, and then look at the next two words, and live. So do you see what he's saying in that one little phrase right there? What he's saying is, you know what, by the way, if you follow God and obey God and you obey the Bible, it might not be the easiest thing you've ever done, but in the end, boy, is it going to be worth it. It's for your good. Earthly fathers, earthly parents, what, what, when we say to our child, hey, don't touch that hot stove, when we say to our child, look both ways before you cross the street, why are we giving them this? To keep them from being hurt. It's for their well-being. You got to understand, God gives us these rules. He gives us his word for our well-being. Once again, I can't help but think the author of Hebrews has the, verse of, the passage of Scripture that you see on the screen in mind. Here's Deuteronomy 30. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I commanded you today, by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, you shall live and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to take possession of it. I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live Loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, and upholding fast to him. What's Moses saying to the people right here? You know what? If you obey God, it's going to be good for you right now. Same thing. And it's not just a temporal value. There's an eternal value. Earthly parents are training their children for adulthood. Our heavenly Father is training us for a deep life here on this earth, yes, but also for our eternal life to come. And here's the last thing, and this is good. Look at verse 10. He says in verse 10, "Our our our earthly fathers, they disciplined us as it seemed best to them. As it seemed best to them. Not a single person in this room had a perfect parent. Your father your mother made mistakes. I can tell you right now, as a father, I look back back at me being a father, and and I can't count all the mistakes I made. I couldn't tell you all the ways I would do things different. I was a flawed father. We all had flawed fathers. But in the end, good came from it. Sometimes as a parent, you, you may get it mixed up and discipline the wrong child. Sometimes as a parent, you may get confused and maybe they were telling you the truth, whatever it might be. But you know what? You never have to worry about your heavenly father. He's perfect. Look at what it says in verse 10. When he disciplines us, it is for our good that we may share his holiness. I never have to worry. God, hey, you're being too hard. God, this isn't fair. God, you're making a mistake. He doesn't make mistakes. Whatever the discipline, you got to know that God is using it for your good and your holiness. So let me just, let me just close and say this. Um, my Cowboys are on tonight. And if uh, Dak Prescott doesn't play, I'm watching the World Series game because they have exactly zero chance of winning if Dak doesn't play. This is the first coach of the Dallas Cowboys is why I brought that up. Look at this quote. Man, I love this quote. I think it's what we're talking about today. Tom Landry once said, the job of a coach is to make men do what they don't want to do in order to be what they've always wanted to be. I'm at point A. Where I want to be and who I want to be is point B. But I don't really want to have to do the stuff to get there. This is what God is doing in discipline. Moving us from here to there it's not easy, but we have to understand the process and the purpose. You know, if you think about it, have you ever read what children born into royalty have to go through? It's crazy. They have to do so much more than normal kids. If I can call them normal kids, whatever. If you're, if you're a child born into royalty, you have, to do, you have to jump through all these hoops, right? Right? You have to learn when to bow and how to bow and when to curtsy and how to curtsy. You have to learn how to sit properly in your chair. You have to learn how to walk properly, dress properly. When you sit down at the chair, you have to know the, 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 the placemat here and you start at your left with a little fork and you work your way right and whatever all that kind of, that, that kind of cultured stuff is, which I obviously don't know. Uh, you have to learn to do all that stuff, right? And you say, why? Well, because of royalty. If you're going to act like a king or a queen got to go through all this stuff. If you think about it, I think there's a sense when this is right, right here. As a child of the heavenly king, if you will, I am royalty. And God is going to make me go through some extra things, learn some more stuff to look like his son, Jesus, because that's the goal in all of this. It's not easy to get there, but that's where he wants to take us. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for this passage of Scripture. So encouraging today, God. And Lord, we come today just not wanting to misunderstand why you allow pain and suffering in our lives. Lord, it's not a sign that you've abandoned us or that you you don't care. It's actually a sign that we are your children. And, Lord, we thank you for your son, Jesus, who came to this earth, who died on a cross, who paid the penalty of our sin, who rose from the dead. And because of Jesus, and only because of Jesus, can we even be your children. And so thank you, Lord, that you allow us to be that. I pray, Father, that we would understand what you are doing in painful times in our life. And that we are not to be stoics, we are not to be bitter and mad, but Lord, we are to endure, we are to embrace, in a sense, the pain. And to look to you, God. And so many times in pain, you come into such clear focus for us. And so, Lord, help our understanding and help our faith, God, in the midst of our hardships and help us, God, to see the big picture. It's painful at the moment, but to see the big picture that you are growing us in holiness through our suffering. And we ask this in Jesus' name.